Uh, so we're in, in week two of Read Your Bible. Last week, Donnie uh, was talking about uh, his passage. And really, what we kind of talked about this, this year as we're going through Read Your Bible, we want to focus, like 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is kind of the focus of what we're talking about. But we wanted to really be intentional this year to talk about how we read our Bibles. Does that make sense? And so last week, Donnie talked about how he, how he tends to read his Bible, which is observe, interpret, and apply. Observe, interpret, and apply. So for him, it's, it's reading the word, it's observing what is, what's jumping out to him. Interpret, okay, what does the scripture say about what I'm reading? What do other people say about what I'm reading? Commentaries, things like that. How do I interpret this? Uh, what is this actually saying to me? And then finally, all that's well and good, but unless we apply it to our lives, that's where the change and the growth can happen. So that's, that's one way of looking at it. Observe, interpret, apply. That might work for you. I know that's, that's kind of a subset of like what I do personally. Um, but what I really wanted to do today is to really break it down to basics. Like, um, and I kind of intentionally kept it a little loose today, so you'll see me kind of thinking through stuff, because I want you to see how I would read my Bible. Does that make sense? Not that like my way or Donnie's way or Matt's way or anybody's way is like the pastoral way of reading your Bible or like the right way to read your Bible. It's just another example. Does anybody like YouTube? Anybody? Like you've got a problem or you need to figure something out and you go to YouTube, right? How do I cook eggs? YouTube. How do I fix my car? YouTube, right? Does that make sense? Because I like to watch people do the thing that I'm about to do. Does that make sense? So I think it might be helpful to see how another person might read their Bible so that you can take that and kind of make it your own. Or like, ooh, I like that idea, that thing that, that he did. Or I like the thing that Donnie did. Or like, does that make sense? So that's kind of the alchemy behind what we're trying to do through this series. So today, the nutshell, the TLDR of this morning is find the big idea. When I read my Bible, that is how I approach reading my Bible. What is the big idea? And the dirty secret is there's no right answer. Does that make sense? Sometimes there is, but a lot of times it's what is the big idea? What is this scripture trying to say to me right now? And not just on this Tuesday morning that I'm reading my Bible, but like in the context of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like in the context of where I am in my relationships, in my work life, and just what's going on in my life, what is the big idea? So my encouragement to you through this morning and how we're going to take an angle on this text is we're going to be trying to find the big idea. And I'm going to walk you through kind of how I do that for myself. And really when it comes to the big idea, it's not meant to be this cosmic, like, huge nugget that's life-changing every time. There's that, does anybody feel that pressure? Whenever you open your Bible, you feel like, if I don't walk away with something that's like colossal, I failed. I'm really bad at this. You know what I mean? Like, we can, we can set ourselves up to think that way, to where if we don't walk away with some kind of life-changing nugget or some big idea that's, that's that big, we failed. And that's just not true. I think that the more simple a big idea we can decipher or kind of boil it down to, the more likely I'm going to do it. You see that? If I can find a big idea and then turn it into an idea that's simple for me to understand and take with me, I'm more likely to actually apply it to our life. So to say it another way, when we read our Bible, our goal is not, okay, our goal is not to just check the box like I did it. Good. I, I read my scripture for the day. I checked my box. Now, a little caveat here. If you're like working towards a goal with your Bible reading, like maybe you wanted to read through the entire Bible. That's what, something I'm doing right now. There's an aspect to it of like, yeah, I want to get these verses in for the day, right? Like I want to make progress towards my goal, but that's not the point. 
If all I did is I read one of those and I got a big idea away from it, I'm seeing growth and change in my life. But the point of it isn't just to check the box. It's also not about following rules or obligation. Like the Bible does speak to the goodness of the word. It does speak to like the growth and change and transformation that can come from being in his word. But it doesn't set, like it doesn't say, uh, uh, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about life, it doesn't say, you know, uh, believe in Christ alone and read your Bible. You know what I mean? That's not how it works. And even when these things happened, it was an oral tradition that led to scriptures. So it's all part of it, but it's not about following rules or obligations like you're a bad Christian if you don't read your Bible. It's you're an, it's you're an underfed Christian if you don't read your Bible. You're an anemic Christian, as in like you don't have sustenance, stuff to actually keep you going, to keep you healthy, because that's what this is meant to do. It's meant to fuel us for our walk in life. It's also not about performative faith, meaning I have to present this way of living to others. I need to go to Starbucks and lay my Bible down on my table and open it up to something and read and look like I'm, I'm some, does that make sense? Like it's not about performing your faith for other people or for even yourself. Like that I just have to go through these, I have a habit of I get up at six and I read my Bible for 15 minutes and I don't really know what I read, but I did it, check the box, I performed my faith for the day. Does that make sense? That's not our goal when we read our Bibles. Our goal when we read our Bibles is an encounter with God. It's an encounter with God. And now some of you might be like, oh gosh, well if that's the point, then the clouds didn't open when I read Jeremiah last week. Or when I read this, it didn't, I didn't feel the earth shumble, rumble except for this morning with that freaking earthquake, but that's cool too. But like, I'm not, like, I, I, I don't you mean, Chris, like I don't have those like earth shattering experiences. That's not what I said. I said the point is to have an encounter with God, it doesn't always have to be, again, we got to get it out of our heads, that it has to be a certain way, or if it doesn't present in a certain, you know, experience or feeling or whatever, that it didn't really happen. I didn't really have an encounter with God. I've had some of the best encounters with God that are incredibly quiet and just still. And I've also had big encounters with God. And everything in between, as we read our Bible, the whole point is to find encounters with God in the big moments, but also in the small moments. And my encouragement for you, so the, the tactic for today is to find the big idea. Find the big idea. That's what we're going to do. But I also want to take a step back for a minute before we dive in and to give, the, if you hear nothing from me this morning, I want you to hear this. Don't wait for perfect. Don't wait for perfect. If you're writing stuff down, write it down. If you're writing stuff down online, write this down. Don't wait for perfect because perfect doesn't exist. Okay, I know I, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm definitely like this. We're like I have a preferred way of doing things. My wife will tell you this is true, not with all things, but with a lot of things. I can be particular, and that's true with my Bible reading too. Like I like to do it at a certain time of day. Check. I like to have my coffee set up. Check. I like to have my. I even have it right here. I gotta have my pen, and not just any pen. I gotta have that sharpie pen that's really fine tipped. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm really sloppy, so I have to have a nice fine tipped sharpie. I've gotta have my Bible. I've gotta have this music playing. Like. There's this perfect set situation I like to set up to make this happen. Does that make sense? And you are going to have this too, to some degree. Like, you've got some preferred way of doing things. But the bottom line is, even that's not perfect. The kid, like, something's going to happen. The, like, you're going to wake up and something's broken. Oh, i got to go deal with this. Or you, you wake up and there's that email that's going to take you away from this. And if you're waiting for the perfect moment 
to read your Bible or to start reading your Bible again, or, okay, I'll start on Monday when I get up early and I'll have this. It's not going to happen. You can have moments like that that are really nice. But if you're waiting for perfect, all you're doing is delaying and delaying and delaying what God has for you. Does that make sense? We're not meant to wait on perfect. In fact, I had a moment just this week. So my family and I took a vacation uh, to the beach recently, uh, just this week as I was preparing for this. And I, I was trying to get my thoughts together and kind of finalize everything. So one of the first days I was like, all right, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go sit on the balcony and we'll see what happens. So I get up early, check, nobody's awake, score. I've got two little girls, by the way. I've got a five and three-year-old. So nobody's awake, so it's a big win. So I get up and I get in there and I make my coffee the way I like it. I get my cereal the way I like it. I get out on the balcony. You know what I'm saying? Like we're like on the beach. So I get out on the balcony, this couch set up, and I got my table, and I got my Bible, and I got my iPad, and I got my music, and I got my coffee. Somebody got to give me an amen because this, this is some good stuff. So I've got my setup, right? And I'm feeling so good. It's like 6.30. The sun's coming up. I can hear the angels singing. It's so good. So I'm sitting there, and I go to sit down, and I'm kind of starting, just kind of praying for a second, and, and I get into it. And then I hear that door slide open. I look up, and five-year-old walks over, which is pretty normal. Like, she, is, she has made it a habit of bombarding my mornings. That's okay. I love her. So she comes over, followed shortly by the three-year-old, who they're both just, like, sleepy-eyed, walking over, looking at you, kind of waiting for you. They're like, okay, now i got to get your, okay, I'm going to get your cereal, get your cereal. So I get up, get their cereal, get them over there. So I'm a little annoyed at that point, but I get their stuff, and I sit back down. <laughs> And I'm about ready to start again. I, I start doing my stuff. And then Addie starts asking me about, what, are you, what am I reading? Or what am I doing? That's just what she does. She's very curious. That's my five-year-old. So she's asking me what I'm doing. What, what, and I kind of talk to her, explain, I'm reading this, and I'm going to talk about this. And then she starts talking about what's happening down at the pool or what's happening at the beach. Or, and then the, the three-year-old starts talking in gibberish because that's what she's really good at, so that's fun. Um, so all this stuff is happening in my perfect moment. I had made perfect what is happening? And then I had a, a realization of, I'm telling people, and I'm encouraging people, I hadn't gotten to this point yet of, this is why I'm kind of talking about this morning, but I'm trying to help people read their Bible, but the point isn't to create that perfect moment. If I were to open my eyes and understand that the point isn't to check the box, remember, right? The point is to have an experience with God, and what if... God is trying to work in my life through having scripture open, having my stuff there, but also having my girls involved. Because guess what? They're watching their dad get up and read the Bible and see that as a valuable thing. And they're asking questions about it. And I'm talking, I mean, they're not going to remember, walk away with like, oh, dad had a really good theological point this morning. Like, that's not what they're, <laughs> they're not walking away with that. But what they're walking away with is that dad gave his time to us. That's how kids think, Right. And here, here's the real dangerous thing. If I were to say, guys, daddy is reading his Bible right now, and this is important, so go play and then come back to me. What did I just tell them? This is more important than you. Do you see that? And yes, this is important, but I want to bring them into this rather than make them compete with this. Does that make sense? So the idea is we're not trying to wait for perfect. We want to have an experience with God. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So today we're going to look and try and find the big idea. Make it simple, make it sweet, 
That's what we're looking for. Not all the time is it super clear and super concrete. So you're going to see as we go through this passage, we're going to go through probably uh, a chapter and a half here, but we're not going to read all of it because I'll read through it, and what I'm looking for is that big idea, right? So I'm kind of asking God to point those things out to me as I read. So I'm going to read from my Bible. I read from NLT, the, uh, the New Living Translation. Why do I read from that? Because I like how it reads. That's really what it comes down to. That's my theological point of the day is I like how to, how to read it. Um, if I come across stuff that I don't understand, and we'll talk about this in a second, then I'll look at other translations, and I'll look at commentaries. I'll go to that stuff, but for as, when I'm reading, get a translation that you can read well. Um, there's like the message paraphrase, which is in kind of plain English. A lot of people like to use that. That's okay, but I would encourage you to find something that's a good readable translation. NLT is great, NIV is great, ESV, English Standard Version is really good too. But again, just find something that works for you because guess what? God's given us a ton of resources to use to check against all these different things so we might have a right understanding of Scripture. So starting with the big idea. So we're going to start. I got my pen because I can't, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm trying to take something away, I've got to have my pen in hand so I can underline, I'll circle stuff, I'll do little stars. I've got like little like alien symbols that only I know what it means, you know what I mean? Because that's the whole point, right? So we're going to start in uh, 1 John 2, 15, and it says this there. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers for you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Oof. That's rough. When I hit sentences like that, that are like declarative and like very like definitive, like he's, he's making a statement here. I'll absorb it, but I want to compare it to what the rest of what he's saying, because this is an idea in this section, these three verses. So I'm going to keep reading. So this is verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure and a craving for everything we see and pride in our, uh, in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world, so we've talked about the world so far. Now he's going to give his, his declaration and his kind of understanding of the world. He says, and this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases, or what pleases God will live forever. So what I'm seeing here, I'm, seeing, I'm finding those words that poke out to me. The, the words that I circled here, I circled craving, I circled craving again, I circled pride. When you see repetition like that, trying to get your attention, right? So I'm going to circle craving twice, I'm circling pride, I'm underlining that whole sentence of achievements and possessions, and these are not from the Father. And what I'm pulling from this is that our cravings and our pride, which your cravings are different from mine, but those things are empty. And I can say that because... This world is fading away. If it's fading away, then it's not permanent. It's not lasting. It's going to go away. If I have a craving for a thing that's going to go away, what's going to happen to that craving when that thing's gone? It's going to intensify, and it's not going to be satisfied. Does that, that make sense? So our cravings and our pride are ultimately empty. That's what I'm taking from this part. So our cravings and our pride are empty. Okay. And then it goes into another section right after that from 18 all the way to 27. We're not going to read it, 
Um, but he's talking about, uh, he uses the term antichrist. Okay? He's talking about warnings of antichrist. And really what he's doing here, and he, talk, he likes to use the language dear children a lot throughout this passage because he's talking with great affection to those who are reading. And so his intention in reading through all this is to like, hey, make sure you don't do this. Make sure you stay away from this pothole. Hey, don't run into that. Like, stay away from these things. And during this whole section, he uses the phrase antichrist a couple different times, referring to those who are against God, who are trying to pull people away from God, false teachers, things like that. And so when I run into things like that, um, I try to tag it for later understanding and study. So when you, when you don't understand something, don't just brush by it and pretend like, oh, I know what that means. Like, that's okay that you're not catching all that's there. Because maybe you're reading on a Tuesday morning from 6 to 6.15 a.m., and you don't have time to break out the concordance. You know what I'm saying? And that's okay. So if I see things that I'm not quite sure, like, I get where he's going with this, but I'm curious because I've read other parts of the Bible where there's like an antichrist, a person that's part of like a prophecy. Does that make sense? Like that's an individual, but here he's talking about multiples. And so as I read it, I'm like, I don't really understand what he's saying here. And that's okay. It's okay to not understand. It's not okay to not understand and pretend like you do. Does that make sense? That doesn't lead to anything but fakeness, right? And I, I don't, I don't want to be that. So it's okay to not understand. And when you don't understand, it's okay to tag something for later study or meditation. Because maybe you need to study it some more. Like for me, that's what this is for me. I need to like look into other things. I started doing that and I thought I'd bore you with it, but I said not to bore you with it. So you're welcome. So you can do that on your own. But it might also be instead of study, it might not just be a study piece. It might be a meditation piece, which is not a dirty word. Meditation is not just something where you sit quietly and, and say your you know, secret phrase that happens to be whatever. That's not just what meditation is. There's Christian meditation where you can take a phrase or an idea or a concept or something you're struggling with and use that as a focusing mechanism to kind of allow God to work through that time where you're focusing on that idea and meditating to have greater understanding. So when you don't understand something, just tag it for later uh, of study or meditation. It's okay if you don't understand something. Yeah? Okay, so we're going to skip down. So I keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And then there's this passage starting in verse 28 that kind of goes all the way, and I'm going to cherry pick a couple of these actually, because there's a, there's a thing as I'm reading through this section, he hits on a couple different ideas, but um, there's, a, there's a theme that starts developing through this section. And it's, it's kind of subtle, and this is what stood out to me. It might not stand out to you. That's kind of the point here is, as you're reading it, things are going to stand out to you that might not stand out to other people. So for me, I circled a couple different words. Just so starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 28, it says this. This is verse 28. And now, dear children, I told you he likes that. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Jump to verse, chapter 3, verse 3. Um, or sorry, verse 2. It says, uh, dear children, or dear friends, uh, we are already God's children. Already. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him, what he really is. Jump to verse 6. Anyone who continues. You see this? We're starting to see a pattern of remain, stay, do. Uh, already, it's already existing. It's continual. 
continues, verse 6, anyone who continues to live uh, in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understands who he is. So even both ways, uh, towards life and towards death, there's that continual, ongoing, perpetual motion. Verse 9 says this, uh, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. You see that difference? There's a difference between where I make an error in a moment because I'm, I'm allowing my flesh to overcome like who I want to be and how I want to be versus making a practice of sinning. So those who want to follow God or those who have been born to God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Continues, keeps on making a practice over time, keeps on again, already remaining. It's a lot of words that are, that are painting a picture of something that's moving. You see that? So what stood up to me is there's, there's this kind of ongoing motion to this experience. It's not a moment. It's not a single decision. Does that make sense? It's not just I prayed the prayer and I'm good. It's not just I was a bad person this one time and it's done. Both ways, there's that continual ongoing process. And what, how I boil this down in my own head is that growth is more than a moment. Growth is more than a moment. And growth is a process of choices. So growth is not just a single moment or a single decision or a single experience that my whole life is defined around. If I don't get this one thing right, then I'm screwed, right? It's not about that. Or it's not about you go the other way. If I, I did this one thing and this is how my life is going to be for the rest of my life because I ruined my life. Does that make sense? It's not a moment. Growth is not just something that happens at a singular point in time. It can be a part of a, a single experience, but it is a process of choices. It's choices that we make each and every day. Every choice that we're making is towards growth or towards death, right? The opposite of growth is not, you know, atrophy necessarily, like towards stuff has stuff stopped growing. It's something is dying. You're either growing or you're dying. There's no stasis. There's no like middle ground when it comes to um, our faith and our growth in our faith. So growth is not a single moment. It's more than a moment. Growth is a process of choices. And understanding that and seeing this to where we're saying we continue to live. We, keep, we cannot keep on sinning. We don't make a practice of. It's, it, we're seeing this painted in the Bible that it's not just a single choice you make to where you make the decision and you move on with the rest of your life. It's every single day. And while we, we kind of make ourselves aware of these things, right, it makes it more obvious. Because as we're in life, if I, if I have that in the back of my head, then as I encounter these choices... I don't just kind of wash them over and just kind of get on with my life. I see them through the lens of eternity. Does that make sense? Because when I'm thinking about how growth is a series of choices, I'll make my decisions differently in light of that. So growth is a process of choices. And these are good ideas, but for me, as I'm reading through this, nothing's really hit me as my, like, the big idea, the thing that I'm going to take away and really dig into. That's not bad, but that's not, I, I kept reading through this whole passage, and that's not really where it stuck for me. We're getting closer but let's jump to John 3, uh, 1 John 3, 16. Um, and I'm actually going to split it in half for you because I think it's interesting to hear it this way. So we know, this is verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave his life up for us. So he's making a statement. We know what real love is. Like, you know what real love is because you saw what Jesus did on the cross, okay? 
Now, in school, I took a class, class called Logic. Did anybody else take a Logic class in college? It's really nerdy. It was like philosophy class. And it's like, it's, the best way I can describe it is like it's math with words. I know, it's, it's terrible. Anyways, you're thinking through like this, so, this. Does that make sense? So, the car is fast, so it might be red, right? Or the guy is strong, so he can lift heavy weights. It's like that deduction. Does that make sense? It's like this, so this, right? And that's kind of what happens here, because he sets us, this is all a setup. So we know, because <laughs> the setup is, we know what real love is because Jesus gave his life for us. He's making that statement. Yeah, we, we know that. And then he says, so, uh-oh, he says, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. All right. Uh, continues on. If someone has enough money, actually, hang on, let's, let's sit on that for a second, because that's, that's pretty big. We know that we, what real love is because Jesus gave his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's a really heavy statement to stick in the middle of your, your article here. And there's a lot of these things in scriptures where we'll read these big claims, or these big, um, even questions too. Things where you hear like, always, ever, never. We're going to see that in the next uh, uh, verse 2 and 17. Whenever you come across those always big statements, always, never, uh, uh, in this case, um, we know what real love is because Jesus gave this picture that he's painting, this really big thing that like, I don't know if I could ever sacrifice my life for someone else. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Like sit on that. Like don't just run past that. Like think that thought. What does that mean? What does that look like? Like, yeah, maybe it means giving your life up for somebody, which is really big. But there's also other ways that can play out in your life. So look at verse 17. It's another big idea. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? That's a really challenging question. The question is, if someone's got resources... And they see someone who needs something, who is in need, and they choose to not have compassion to help that person. How could God's love be in them? That's a pretty logical question to ask. It's actually a really challenging question because if we, if we take the Bible at its word and Jesus at his word, what he calls us to do with our money, with our resources, with our time, then it's, we're meant to have compassion on people. And if we choose to not have compassion, what does that say about us? It's not about what it says about the person who's in need. It's about what it says about you who's making that decision to not have compassion. It's such a good reminder. When you come across these big questions, these big claims, it's good to sit with them for a minute. Let them wash over you, even if it's uncomfortable. And even think back to like, it's easy. I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes I'll read something like this. Uh, if someone has enough money to live well, these brothers and sisters no, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Well, I'm a compassionate person. I'm doing just fine. Just last week I did da 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 da. Like, we can get defensive when the Bible challenges us. Do you see that? That's a really immature response. It's the same way as like when you're fighting with your spouse and they fuss about how like you didn't do something you said you were going to do. You're like, yeah, but I did that! That's not the point of the question. That's not the point of the challenge. The point is to help you move towards growth and remembering who you 
are. You follow Jesus, you're following the way he calls us to live, then when you have resources and you see someone in need, your response is to have compassion, not to get defensive and say, well, I've done this and I've done this. No, we want to have a default response of compassion. So sit with these big ideas. It's okay for it to be all uncomfortable. And then we get to where I think we're at with the big idea. I think, I think we landed here in this next verse. And the reason why, for me, is because it's something that leads to action. It's something that, that I read and I immediately stopped and had to read it a couple times to make sure I'm catching it, what's being said here. And it's, it's not necessarily a commandment from Jesus because this isn't Jesus speaking, but it's something that sounds like Jesus says. And it's directly from the kind of teaching Jesus gives. So this is in verse 18. He says this. He says, dear children, again, he loves that phrase. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I immediately thought of Facebook. Thoughts and prayers, right? Really praying for you, there for you. But then someone calls you and needs you at 2 a.m. on a Monday because something hit the fan. You know what I mean? Let us not just say that we have love for people. Let us show it. That is so challenging. I mean, like, if you focused on that for a year of your life, like if in the context of my faith, I'm going to filter everything through this, that let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. If that's all you did, you're going to see so many opportunities in your life to breathe life into their experience, into their opportunities, and to bring hope. We're a church that humbly points everyone to absolute hope. That's what this is. You can't point without action. Pointing takes an effort. And the way in which we do it humbly speaks to our character, speaks to how we're going to do it. And the absolute hope has nothing to do with what we've done. The absolute hope is Jesus, and he's done everything ahead of us. You see that? It's not about just saying that we love people. It's about showing them the truth through our actions. Verse 19 continues this idea. It says, our actions will show, and I've circled say, show, will show, our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. What we're seeing here is our actions aren't salvation, okay? Our actions are good. We don't want to just say things to people, say we love them. We're going to show them the truth through our actions. But our actions do not equal salvation. That's what we're seeing here. It's not about us. It's not about, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Our actions don't lead to salvation. Instead, our actions are the fruit of salvation, we're pointing them to the truth that we've already found, not that we've created, that we've found, that we, by the grace of God, have been exposed to and have in our lives. Our actions aren't salvation, our actions are fruit. And I used this picture a couple weeks ago, and I think this is a really, really helpful way of thinking about how salvation works. A lot of us will think that it's faith plus works that equals salvation. I have to believe, and then i got to be a really good person in order to receive salvation. I've got to do it. The works are the root of salvation, that through belief and that through doing stuff, I will be saved. Does that make sense? 
A lot of us were probably taught that growing up, and maybe not explicitly, but like you were, it was assumed that's how you got to to, uh, receive salvation, is by believing, yes, but also you better be a good Christian. You better check those boxes. You better do those things that Christians are supposed to do, or you're not going to heaven. Anybody experience a hell house when they were a kid? Okay, it's like a, it's a thing some denominations will do around Halloween where they'll scare the crap out of kids so they'll believe in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That is a, and, and the backside of that, that I remember from my experience, I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now. This is, what, this is part of the like not preparing everything. These stories pop up. That, where, but I had this vivid memory of like going through that, being totally scared. And then like, you don't want that. Well, be a good person and believe in Jesus and you'll be good. And that's really what was taught to us. And that is such an empty and wrong thinking. Not only is it empty and wrong, it's damaging. Because guess what? That's a, hey, go back, Tony. So faith, um, uh, it's okay. Faith is a decision we make, okay? But Jesus is doing all the work here because we're putting our faith in him. Does that make sense? This is about us. This is something I'm doing. So I'm in control of getting that. You see that? It puts the balance of power, and not just the balance of power, but like the outcome on me. But go forward, Tony. This is what it actually is. It's that our faith yields salvation, and works come from it. And works come from it. They're not the source of what leads to salvation. We have faith in Christ alone through grace, period, done. And what happens is we receive salvation by grace, And by that process of fancy church word called sanctification, which is how we continue to become more, I I pray this every night with my girls, God help us become more and more like Jesus by making good decisions every day. We become more and more like him through sanctification through the work of the spirit, which produces good works. That's what the Bible tells us. So when we speak here about actions where it says, Uh, Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. Our actions are showing where our faith lies. It's not to produce salvation. Does that make sense? Sorry, I had to preach for a second. That's good. Let's go to verse 20. So verse 20. Is this helpful? Is this helpful? Okay, good. So verse 20. Um, Even if we, I love this. If I don't get an amen from this, this is some good stuff. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. Come on now. That's some good stuff. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. What a comfort that is. That not only does he know everything, not only is he omnipotent, not only is he omniscient, not only does he know and see and be be everywhere and, and be in all details, of our life, but he's bigger than our feelings. So when I'm feeling guilty, I can acknowledge that and move past it. I can feel guilty. I can recognize it. There's two real ways you can go with that. When I feel something, in this case, guilty, if I feel guilty like, oh, I'm not, I, sh- I don't deserve this, I shouldn't, da, da, da. I, remember. I can live there and go down this path where that's my identity, is I choose to be guilty and I don't deserve what comes from this. I don't deserve life. I don't deserve growth because I'm, I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I can't come to God. Or you can feel guilty, acknowledge you feel guilty, submit that to him, and because he knows everything, we're going to see in the next verse, you can move forward into life because that is a feeling that will lie to you that is not the truth, and God is the truth. 
That's the stuff that I like to underline. I, I mean, I, I, I wish I could show you a picture of this. I like circled the whole thing and then I underlined certain things. And I like circled the certain words in there because that's just good. Like, that's good reminders because it's not just about the guilt, it's also about anxiety. So when I feel anxious, I can do the same thing. When I'm nervous, when I'm scared, when I'm fearful, I can acknowledge those feelings and move past them because of what and who God is. So continuing in verse 21, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, if we put that off, if we acknowledge the feeling and move forward, if we don't feel guilty, what happens? We can come to God with bold confidence. That's what happens when we can shake that off, not because of our strength, but because of the Spirit working in and through us. The first couple times that you're able to move past that feeling of guilt or move past that feeling of anxiety, it's going to be really, really hard, and it will probably continue to be hard. That's why counseling is a good thing. Like having someone who can walk with you through that stuff is a good thing to think your thoughts, to help process your emotions, because your emotions are not meant to dictate how you live your life. Your, your feelings are a part of your life, right? So again, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. What a reward for, for going through those pro, that process. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. We're walking in a way towards the light. We're acknowledging feelings and we're moving past them. We're processing them in healthy ways. This is what happens when we place our trust in God. When we place our trust in God, we can see that work in our life. If we place our trust in ourselves, that I have to figure this out. I have to, I'm feeling this way, so I have to deal with this. I move over here, and I now identify with that feeling. That is who I am, rather than putting our trust and faith in Christ and moving towards life because of the Spirit doing work in our life. Do you see the difference? It's a completely different experience. And verse 23 kind of puts a period on this whole section. He says, and this is his commandment, speaking of Jesus, we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. That's the why. That's why we can do all this. But the big idea, going back to the big idea, is that let's not merely say that we love each other. Thoughts and prayers. Let us show the truth by our actions. Because our actions are earning our way to God, the result of being with God. Let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth. So when I've got an idea like this, again, the big idea, we want to boil it down, make it simple. How do I make this simple? And this is going to sound cheesy, but this is why I asked Aubrey if this is cheesy. She said, yeah, it's cheesy. And I said, I got to do it anyways. I'm sorry. So the simple idea from this is don't just say it, show it. This is what I would keep in my mind. This might be something I write down. Don't just say it, show it. Don't just say it, show it. Say it with me. Don't just say it, show it. So as I'm walking through my life and I have an encounter with a person I love, maybe on Facebook, maybe a loved one you live with, maybe someone you just randomly meet, and they're encountering something where I can show compassion, where I can show that I love them. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm praying for you, or hey, you know, let me know if you need anything, I'm going to insert myself and show them by my actions that I love them. You see the difference? Sometimes words are what you need. Maybe your action is to sit and listen and shut up. Could be. But I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to show it. That's what I'm going to do. So as you read the word, 
The goal isn't to find the four-part outline that was meant to be said by the original author in the original language. The point is to read it for understanding, to have an experience with God. And that experience might be as simple as being reminded that it's not enough to just say that you love other people, but rather to find ways that you can show it through your actions. And again, if you hear nothing from me today, don't wait for perfect. Don't wait for your little ones to go off so you can have your coffee time and your sweet little prayer time. Don't wait for the kids to you know, be away. Don't wait for that, those emails to be dealt with with work. Don't wait for perfect because perfect doesn't exist. Take the time, carve out the time, carve out whatever you can, and just read the word. And when you read, look for that big idea. What am I supposed to pull away from this passage? What is God trying to say with me? And then, ultimately, how do I make this simple so that I can take with me, like Don talked about last week, that's the apply piece. What's a simple thing I can apply? Don't wait for a perfect moment. Just get into the word and look for that big idea. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that we have a place we can put our trust God, that we don't have to strive and and, uh, try and be rewarded with salvation because we've done enough good things, but God, that by grace you've given it to us. Lord, remind us of that. Would you give us opportunities to not just show our love to those around us, but God, to, to show it through them, through our actions, to make them experience your love through the things that we can do with them, for them, God, around them. God, would you show us ways that we, can't, that we wouldn't just speak our love, but that we would show our love to others. God, again, we're, we're grateful for the, the tool and the resource and the wisdom that is your word. God, help us to find the time to carve out, that we wouldn't wait for perfect, that we would take the time to jump in, to be enriched and changed and transformed by the reading of your word. God, help us to get past the mystical and the... the uh, the, the restrictions that we put on ourselves, that it has to be a certain way. And God, would you just help us to take steps of faith that we might better understand you and the life you call us to live through reading your word. So God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.